Welcome to episode 447 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty guys, welcome along to episode 447 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles and unfortunately there is no John Newsom here this week. John and I have been uh, having a few technical problems. John's up in Kaiteri uh, where he's got the family batch and they take the kids every kind of summer for a holiday and he's up there and we normally do this show over Skype and um, unfortunately we just have had a lot of technical problems today and we can't really figure out why but... For that reason, we've kind of aborted on doing the traditional show just because, well, it just isn't really possible. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to probably put some stuff together. We've got an interview that John had already done previously, which kind of helps. And uh, we'll kind of get something out, just enough for you to get something while you're out there training today. And then from there, um, we'll be back into the studios next week. So we'll be back to normal next week. I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com and xendurance.com as well. Athlinks.com is your social networking for endurance athletes. And xendurance.com is you know the great place to go for all those supplements that make a big difference in your training. Um, I'm kind of here on my lonesome and I thought, well, I should try to get something out for you guys. So what I might do is I might put this interview up that John's done previously up first. And then um, I might you know, make something up on the spot, um, something for you to think about in your training in regards to you know, something that I might be able to add value to later on in the show. So what I'm going to do right now is John did an interview with a guy called Greg Percival um, and Craig, based on the show notes in front of me, now I haven't actually listened to the interview, so, um, but based from what I know is he's an Ultraman runner-up, so he's obviously a pretty kind of crazy guy. And uh, John just sat down with him and did an interview with him. He's obviously a pretty decent Ironman as well because he's a nine-hour Ironman. So, uh, yeah, we'll have a get him on real soon. Before we do, just sponsor athlinks.com. So athlinks.com is your social networking and a really ultimately a great place to keep all your athletic history and a great place to check out your competition. It's a really cool thing to do if you've got mates in the sport, like, you know, we all have our training buddies and it's a cool idea just to kind of give each other a bit of banter on on places like Athlinks as well and if you are on Facebook the great thing about Athlinks is you can link your results and you can share your results to those people on Facebook as well so you know if you want to kind of give your mates a little bit of kind of bit of a ribbing when you do really well or or uh, give them a hard time when they're doing not so well uh you know, you can go on Athlinks and you can share that information with you. To me, the greatest value in Athlinks is the, the record of your races. Um, you know, there's just something about having that record that you can maintain forever. You can also kind of get some detailed information about the races that you have done. They give you some statistics around the races that you have done. So you can kind of get a good idea of, you know, where you sit within your field and your ability, but not just at that race, but within the sport in general. So, you know, like if you do a marathon, they'll give you the percentage of where you sit on all the Athlinks marathons places so I think I'm in the top 9% of all Athlinks results within marathons so you know you can kind of just get an idea of where, where do I really sit in comparison to real people out there and not just this one race that I've done 
but in lots of races around the world. And it's kind of a cool little fun tool to have within your athletic experiences. So, you know, John and I talked about this a lot over the years. So if you haven't checked it out, go to athlinks.com, sign up. It's all very simple and uh, you can just keep track of your athletic performance. Radio, I'm going to put this interview on with Craig Percival. Um, yeah, here's John and Craig. Right. Uh, sometimes I worry about what I say on the podcast, when, especially when we have guests that I may have talked about in the past and I omit to remember what I said about them. But today's uh, guest, his name's Craig Percival. He was the runner-up at Ultraman Hawaii not too long ago, back in uh, November, I think it was. Um, also done Hawaii multiple times and involved in the tri-scene in Australia. So happy to get him on because he's one of those guys who's heavily involved in the sport but also has a job to hold down, has a family, and I know there's a lot of you guys out there that always like to hear from them because it uh, sometimes makes it a bit more real than, than always hearing from the, the professionals and so on. So, Craig, welcome along to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me, mate. Hey, tell us a bit about, so people can get a feel for, for what you're up to, um, give us a bit of an insight into to your setup there in Australia and um, what you get up to. Yes, so you're right. Uh, I have been involved in tries for ages um a lot of years i work with aquashop who are a distributor of blue 70 so um there go to a lot of events we've sponsored events for um geez i don't know 15 years so i go around to a lot of the races and um yeah you know it's 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 obviously a a very busy scene these days with you know with events year round so so that keeps me, me busy on the event side of things i also have a coaching business so involved there and, and obviously just dipped my toe back into racing so uh, yeah across the board mate involved in a, in a few uh, few angles there so, so um what was the motivation to go and do ultraman um i know it's last year now so it's only a month or two ago um yep. but what was the motivation to go and do that and was it your first time there it definitely was my first time. Uh, so I've done Kona four times, a normal Ironman, if you like. Yeah. Uh, that's a few years ago now. My last time there was 2000. Um, so I kind of just went away from racing for a while. I did a few other bits and pieces. And then um, a couple of years ago, uh, Ultraman had been on my radar for a while. And I got an entry for Ultraman Canada. Um, which qualified me for Ultraman Hawaii this year. So that was Ultraman Canada in, uh, I guess, August 2013 and then raced November 2014 in Hawaii. So for, for listeners who, who you know, can't remember exactly the distance for Ultraman, you, in Kona, you, the way that it's formatted, you swim 10k on the first day plus your bike, uh, about 145k, and that is not an easy bike ride. I've done it uh, several times and I've exploded every time, and so that's without the 10k swim. Then day two, you bike uh, 272Ks um, around the island, and then the third day, you do a double marathon. So Craig, was uh, you seemed like you obliterated the field on day one and day two. Um, I guess, what, what were your tactics going into this event, and did you stick to them? Uh, so to go back to your initial comment at the start of the, uh, the, the interview, you said about you can't remember what comment... So I did have a good giggle to myself when you uh, mentioned it on the show like a month ago about uh, I was leading and how gutted, because it's one of your favourite words, gutted and devastated I was because, uh, yeah, I certainly, my tactics were exactly, I'm a, I'm a okay swim biker, so that was my goal. And, and Ultraman's good on that sense is I think it's 2.6 times the, the length on the swim and it's 2.3 times the length, uh, you know, uh, more than an Ironman. So it's stronger on the swim bike side and then it's 
just a double marathon, yeah. uh, inverted commas. Um, so I've always been a, uh, they've always been my strength. So my goal is to just obviously really, I, I funnily enough, the numbers lined up. I thought I would need a one-hour lead. I, for months before, I thought, no, nah, if I can have a one-hour lead, I'll be, um, I'll be really in the game. And as it was, I had 54 minutes and I lost by six minutes. So, <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> so maybe I should have... Uh, only asked for a 54-minute lead. <laughs> <laughs> so how did uh, maybe? Um, I mean, did you do what sort of research did you do for the race? Because you know you've been to Kona, and you, you, I guess you know the conditions somewhat. At least you know the conditions on the the west side of the island. It is a bit different on the, the eastern side of the island. Obviously, it's a lot wetter, or can be a lot wetter. Um, you know. In terms of your plan for each day, I mean, you know, you said you wanted to capitalise on your swim and your bike, but what does that mean in terms of, say, your, your pace, say, relative to, to Ironman effort? Um, bearing in mind you know that you don't, on that first two days, you don't have to run at the end of the day. So after I did Canada, um, to me, my effort is um, pretty much, uh, I, I kind of treat each day as, yeah, it's a seven to eight hour day, but certainly the first two days, they don't carry the fatigue of obviously what day three would do if you had a day four. So I certainly race those um, and my numbers stacked up as the same speeds I used to race Ironman at. So um, Canada, we went through 180k in, in four hours 50. Um, so the, the level of effort was the same. Um, you certainly carry more fatigue into day three. So in terms of research, I chatted with a couple of the guys. I was good enough. The guy who won Canada, uh, Dave Matheson, um, he did a recon of the island after he raced Hawaii this year. So we chatted about the course. Um, but it's very different, you know, riding it as you've done. Mm. And you're right, that day one is um, it's a it's a really honest day. I mean, I, I can't remember. how You end up climbing more than 2,500 metres. I mean, oh, yeah. I, finished, I finished with an average of 27 k's an hour. So, uh, and you finish at elevation. So, and, and we, we got fairly whacked with a, what seemed like basically a headwind the whole day. Um, day two was a bit different. And another guy I chatted with was Christian Isaacson. So I met him once again at Canada. And that's another thing that's really nice about, I guess, Ultraman is it's, um, I don't know, because there's only 30 to 40 athletes. You get to know people. So, you know, the, the top six of us, we kind of knew each other. We'd say hello and, and we'd certainly form friendships from Canada uh, from that. So he gave me a bit of a rundown. Um, I know he had some real problems in the swim and, and said about, you know, the swim the day one was the one that wrecked him. So, uh, yeah, and that, that day one swim is um, you end up hitting a bit of a current towards the back end, which I knew, so I expected that. You know, with, I think at about 8K mark, I, I was literally swimming on the spot until you get through that little section, um, which, which was good for me because I was out front, so I knew that if I was doing it hard, obviously everyone else would, would be doing it a little bit harder. Um, and then, yeah, so to, to, I didn't know anything about the day two ride other than the first, I think it's 35 k's is, is basically a rolling downhill. You come off the volcano. Yeah. Um, just just re, re, um, rewind to, to the swim. So yeah. it's basically is a, is a 10k point-to-point swim. And if you're out front, um, how the hell do you navigate your way through? Do they have swim buoys um, as you go through the swim or have you got a kayaker with you? Uh, just talk us through how you get through the swim. So you start right in at Digby Beach there, right where the Ironman starts. Uh, it's, it's a fair bit more low-key. There's only 40 of us, so um, there's no giant cannon or anything. I think yeah, they yeah. fired a gun or something. 
Um, and it's basically there is only one turning buoy, and that is at the uh, 9.5k mark as you enter the bay. Now, the bay is actually where the old Sheraton is, so where um, the old transition used to be for Ironman back in the day when we used to do um, the pit and things like that. So I'd heard that there are currents, uh, that it was better to swim off sh- you know, further out to sea. Um, I, wasn't, I didn't have time to do any recon on that before the race, so I kind of... I uh, just told my paddler, just let's just go, let's straight line it, you know. And I, I told him to uh, keep an eye out for it. So he's a, a real good mate of mine, Julian Bailey. So he was in the kayak. So yeah, he he paddled next to me the whole way. Uh, he'd give me gels, he'd give me me drink along the way. So we basically uh, made a straight line for that for that uh, turning buoy. Um, after about five k, the guys that had gone out to sea, they all came in to, to the same line I was on. There was one guy, he was about, he ended up 10 minutes behind me. So I was certainly on my own the whole day. I pretty much made sure I didn't drag anyone right from the start. So I went pretty solid pretty early. Um, yeah, and, and it's really hard to know because you don't know whether, you know, I felt like I was swimming all right. So the time itself, um, I guess, I'm not, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I, I swam two hours 20 at Canada. I swam 2.30 here, which doesn't surprise me. I was in the same swim shape. Mm-hmm. It was just that current and that, those last couple of Ks that certainly slowed it down. So, um, yeah, that's the swim, yeah. And then you get out of the bike, and, and as you said, for, for people that don't know this course, you, you basically have a pretty decent climb to get out of, um, out of Kehoe from, from down at sort of sea level, and then you basically traverse around <clears throat> the island, staying reasonably high, just sort of gentle up and downs, and then you have a, some, a, some long downs and some, uh, some grinds up, and as Craig said, yeah, it ends up being about 2,500 uh, metres of climbing. It is, it's not an easy day. And you guys got struck with some weather this year as well, I believe. So the day one weather, yeah, so that's right. So you come out of the water and bang, it's an 11k climb. Um, I don't know what the gradient would be, 5 or 6%. So it's not ridiculous. It's, it's a little steep for the first couple of k's and then it flattens off. So it's really only you get some respite at the top of that 11k and that's it. Then it, it winds its way around the south of the island uh, before it starts heading north towards Volcano. So, yeah, rolling hills. Uh, you drop back down onto the ocean. That was It was really windy. Um, I possibly, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, I probably could have had a better wheel selection, uh, but I had no idea on what the the winds. And looking at the guys' times from previous years, I mean, we were we were slow this year, but that was just because we got belted with that wind. So, um, but once again, for me, that was that was good. I, you know, I, I, that's exactly what I wanted. I actually I put that out to the world, if you like. I wanted a, a hard swim and, and and really tough conditions on the bike because. Uh, not being a runner, I obviously wanted to soften those guys a little bit. Um, yeah, so you finish with a 30k climb on day one, which is uh, it's a so grind. So that basically takes you up volcano, and again, it's yeah. certainly not steep. But when you've already done, you know, six or seven hours out there, or however long it was, it is a it's a grind. <laughs> it's a long way up. Yeah, look, I love my climbing. One of my mantras is hills are my friend. And I had quite a few, I did two training camps in the Vic Alps where there's, you know, there's some long 30K climbs. So I was ready for that. I knew that was coming. And um, I think I paced it pretty well. I certainly I certainly emptied out on day one. I was pretty spent when I crossed, crossed the, the finish line. Um, but that's what's good, you know. It's also that plays in your head is that the sooner I can get across the finish line, well, that means I get more recovery than everyone else, right? So I... I I can't even remember what time I was on day one, maybe seven and a half hours or something like that. Um, and it was 40 minutes until the next guy 
came in. I think that was Tobias, the guy who ended up winning. So, yeah. you know, by then I was changed and I'd started in, you know, that that's that felt good to me to be uh, to, to be in that situation. So, so day two, you basically go from Volcano and you were lucky enough that you still got to do the loop down Red Road um, and for people that have been following the earth, uh, not the earthquakes, the volcanoes in Hawaii, I know there was uh, certainly a threat that that wasn't going to do. The volcano is basically uh, spewing lava out and it's, uh, it's sort of stalled at this stage but it's just before the road that you guys rode down um, the loop of Red Road which is uh, beautiful down the bottom but it's a, it's a big day at the office and um, again I think you guys got a bit of weather there I know when we were around there last year we were extremely fortunate uh, and had, had fantastic weather so talk us through how you how you worked your way through day two because I believe you all you all start together and um, and then you've got to yeah just uh, pull away from people I guess yeah, yeah that's it so w- w- I stayed in Hilo on night one so uh, which I don't know 50k from the start line so uh, it just poured. It just poured the whole night. It poured the whole drive back to the start line, except for probably the last five k. So, got to the start line. Do you know? Do the usual pre-morning thing. Uh, you don't. I didn't warm up too much, and then you, you do. You just arrive at the start line, and it's kind of like a Le Mans style. So, um, I think it was Tobias and I on the start, and then it was just. It's just like a group ride, right? Everyone. It was yeah. we're in pairs, and and they start you off. Um, and it's really got, you're just left to yourself to, to separate. The, the drafting was seven metres, uh, I think. Um, so it was pretty kind of uneventful for the first couple of Ks. And then and right to script, uh, Miro Krieger, he was last year's winner. So I think I'd put an hour and a quarter into him on day one. So I fully expected him to attack, which he did. Um, by the time he'd attacked, it was just, it was really pissing down. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, uh, there was no wind, which was really lucky at that point. Um, it was pouring. I mean, it was really, really <laughs> pouring. So he attacked, um, and a, another German guy went with him, and so I, I jumped across with them, and, and uh, we we rode away. So Miro just sat on the front, um, trying to get away. Uh, and to, we dropped Tobias, which was kind of encouraging for me because I was like, okay, well maybe he's not so good on the descents because he's a bit of a light guy. So I'm, I'm up around 90 kilos, so I've got a few on him. So. So then we, we got down to the first turn, which is the road that goes to um, yeah, Pahoa and where the volcano was. So that actually wasn't decided. That was not, wasn't 100% until even the days leading in because we were lucky that the lava had stopped like uh, two or three days before the race and they decided, okay, it was safe to go through. So we went through there and as it turned out, the lava started, unfortunately for those guys, lava has started flowing again. So it looks like, um, yeah, I'm not sure yet whether that, part of the course will ever be in the race again um yeah so as we got down to the first turn uh unfortunately because of the rain and it's certainly my fault uh, my fault is we missed the turn um it was just you know as i said it was just poor and it was you know basically raining horizontal and, and somehow we missed the turn and we kind of rec- recognized it uh after about a k i said right up next to the german guy and he said yeah and so we turned around and, and bolted back, and uh, pretty quickly I got rid of those two. I started riding a little bit angry at that point. I was a bit dirty on myself, and so I realised that Tobias was now back in front. So I caught up to him, and uh, and then I knew there was another long downhill, about a 5K downhill to take you down to that red road. So once again, I kind of just gunned it down there a little bit. 
um, and dropped him again. And from there, that was it. So that was about the 70k point. So I basically rode on my own for the next 200. Um, you ride that red road section. Lucky we had stopped raining down there. So that that is a beautiful. It's a postcard road for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, you make your way back to Hilo, and then yeah, as we got back into Hilo, it just started raining again, and and it basically, I think it rained. I think my bike time was 7.40 or 7.50. My guess is it would have rained for probably seven hours of that, <laughs> seven hours 50. Um, but it wasn't cold, so it was okay. And you know, being a, a Melbourne and originally a Tassie boy, well, you know, um, inevitably you end up riding in the rain. and So it was actually quite comfortable. Um, although I did, have to, I did have to put a vest on at 12 noon, which I never, ever thought I'd have to do in Hawaii. But uh, some of the descents were a little bit... A little bit chilly, so yeah. yeah. So you make your way up the, um, I guess it's the Kohala Mountains. Yep, yep. Um, I've forgotten the name of the little town that you, you um, Waimea, yeah, that's it. Good yeah. job, yeah. So you make your way to there, you take a right hand turn, you, you go up a really stunning 10k climb, uh, and then it's about a 20k descent, 25k descent down into Harvey. Uh, that was certainly a bit of a um, an eye-opener for me. That was a moment I'll, I'll certainly never forget. I was having a few bike challenges, had some on day one and they'd resurfaced on day two um, with some braking issues and it was it was classic Hawaii winds. Um, I have no idea how fast they were blowing, but they were blowing and, uh, you know, it was once again raining and so I was having a, a real challenge with my brakes and actually wasn't even sure I was going to make it off that descent. Um, so I managed to get down there somehow. Um, I think I wore my cleats out a couple of times with, the, with, with my foot on the ground. Um, and yeah, so then you, you finish in, in Harvey. Uh, I was spent. I was I was really spent at the end of day two. Uh, my forearms and back were just killing me from just really pushing the hills, and then on the descent, just just trying to hang on. Uh, basically, in my life, it seemed my life at some points. So. Um, but look, it's really great, right? So you have, you know, you have your crew out there. So you know, I didn't even mention that on day one. But you, you know, I've got my pretty much my three best mates in the van with, and and they basically ride. They they'll they'll hand water to you, and then they watch you ride. You know, a couple hundred meters up the road, they jump back in the van. They drive two k's down the road. They jump out again, and they, you know, it depends on you know we had a strategy for how often they'd see me and things like that. But basically. I didn't want them to um, get you know out of eyesight because if you puncture, you're allowed to change a wheel. Yeah. So they were great. They they worked their bums off all three days. Um, so it was good. So you know while it's it's hard, you know we make choices to do this to ourselves, and I, I loved every every second of the whole week we were there. Um, it's it's really good having your mates out there. You know they keep you on the level and. Yeah, hard enough, Craig, and all of that. They, yeah. Sorry, they didn't say that ever, but you know, it, it, it certainly keeps me grounded. Um, and it, 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 it's just it adds another side to racing that that I really enjoy. That I guess a little bit more emotional side, or you know, one of my mates he'd never seen me race, and uh, it was cool. He, he really kind of goes, "Shit, Percy, I see. You know, I see now why you do it, and you know, I, he now understands it a bit more." So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, when cool. you you finish day two and you've obviously got a double marathon in front of you, you've got this, you know, as you said, a lead of fifty four minutes or so. Um, what's your sort of strategy, especially you know, again for people who haven't been to Hawaii, don't know the course too much? You know, you go from Harvey all the way into Kona, so you've got a net descent. You, you, it's a it's a, a sort of a staircase descent from Harvey down to the Queen K, and then you run along the Queen K, and it's sort of 
roll rolls as you go along the Queen K. But you know, what was your your strategy for day three in terms of trying to pace it? Um, and and were you going for the win, or were you just going to run to your pace and, and see what happens? Uh, I was definitely going for the win, mm-hmm. uh, but I I'd made a decision. I guess probably two and a half months out um, to to do a run to do the run walk strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really tough run at Ultraman Canada the year before and, and some of my other longer runs hadn't gone to plan and, and that was more a nutritional thing. So I started experimenting with the run walk thing quite a while ago and then decided on that. And I knew, you know, I'm, I'm running isn't my strength, um, but the run walk, so it was basically nine minutes 30 on and a 30-second walk. So that allowed me, you know, my goal was to, to keep my core temperature down delay the fatigue as late as possible and also get, gives me a chance to really in that 30 seconds to, to take on some fluids and obviously take on some gels um, and look it worked really well I wouldn't change it I did a one hour PB on the run um, you know it was actually on target to negative split from the first marathon to the second I honestly don't believe I could have gone a second faster mm-hmm. um, so we knew after I spoke with, with Christian Christian he said the guys take off at the run, right? So, and they did. They went through 10k in 38 minutes. So <laughs> it is it's, a bit downhill, but still 38. It minutes. is downhill, but they took off, right? So you start yeah. in the dark, but dead set. Within 50 meters, I couldn't see them. They just absolutely bolted. Whereas I was, you know, I was just sticking at my, my basically my 4:45 pace. That was that was my plan to just reel off. Basically, try my my target was to run. 10 minutes for every 2k, yeah. um, which was achievable certainly on the downhill section. So it's about what is it, 30 k's downhill from Harvey? It's, yeah. It was 30 k's to, to you got onto the Queen K, yeah. uh, and that's where I knew that the race would really start. So, uh, yeah, that went to plan. I ran through the first marathon in 3:47, and Tobias had gone through in 3:13. So he'd taken what 34 minutes of my 54 minute lead. So I certainly knew. I figured we were still in it. Um, Unfortunately, I'd heard that he'd ha- he, he has a two-hour 30 marathon to his name. Um, yeah. I've I got nothing like that. I've got nothing under three. I've got a 315 is my best. So I knew – so he's a runner. Um, but I also thought he'd tire, and he certainly did tire on the second one. Um, he just tired six minutes. <laughs> he just didn't tire enough. Um, but I, th- I did the second one in a 352, I think it was. So basically I only ran the second one five minutes slower. Um, and I passed a lot of people on that back end. I felt – I had a massive spew at 30k, yeah. um, and I felt amazing. I felt really good between 30 and 60k. Um, yeah, and once again, my guy, my, my crew, they were working their bum off. I had my wife and my two kids there. They were, you know, that's they were there. I saw them a lot, and you know, that's as good a motivation as I can get. Yeah. Um, and so, look, I got a split with 5k to go, uh, and it sounds so so easy. When I repeat it, but you know, I think I needed to run that final 5k in in 25 or 26 minutes. Um, I knew because I, I knew what pace I'd slow to slower than five minute pace. So I certainly tried. I certainly gave everything. But um, at, at that point, there's no real picking up the pace. Not for me anyway. Yeah. Uh, some experienced ultra runners might be able to pick up the pace at the 78k mark, but. Uh, not me. So, so what was so your feeling going through the finish line? And, and I think there's the finish line on the old airport. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. so it's, um, once again, it's pretty low-key, but it's a, it's a cool finish line. It's right on the water. You basically finish on the grass of the sand dunes. Um, um, what was I... Th- uh, 
I mean, it's just um, you just want to finish, right? And 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 you see the finish line, and and my kids were running with me. I don't re- to be honest, I don't really remember a lot about it. I remember more because I see photos, and I go, oh yeah, that's right, that happened, or that happened. Um, I really don't remember a lot about the last fifteen k. It, it's just just one, you know, it's a cliche, one foot in front of the other, but that's really how it was for me, and just trying to lean forward and just kill myself as best I could. So. Um, yeah, I know I slumped to the ground afterwards, and we, you know, within five minutes you, you're kind of back again. Um, but it was, you know, it's just hot. We were lucky that we had a, a really, we had a tailwind most of the way, so that that means you you are running a little bit hotter possibly than having a, a headwind on the run. But I'd take the tailwind every day over the headwind on that on that course. Um, and it's certainly surprising how hilly that course is. I'd forgotten how uh, hilly it is. You know, basically in the the final 20Ks before Kona or the first 20Ks as you leave Kona. But, you know, when you race Ironman, you're so fresh in that first 30Ks, you kind of kind of forget about it. So, um, yeah, and that was it, mate. Just got to the finish and wife and kids were there and uh, I knew I'd lost, um, which was, yeah, not much fun. But, um, yeah, look, I have left and, and still feel the same. I, I physically didn't have another metre in me and that's the positive that I take from the race. So, so how do you prepare, you know, you've obviously prepared for Ironman and uh, Ultraman. Um, given, you know, for, for most working people, there's only, uh, to, to a large degree, there's a finite amount of hours they can train per week. So I guess how did you prepare differently to what you would for, for say, an Ironman build-up? Um, I definitely didn't do as much swimming. I did a couple of really long swims. I did um, two... Hundred hundreds. Um, nice. Yeah, they were good. Uh, they were fundraisers. I had a friend of mine organised those, so they were good. Um, had a few, you know, just invited people along, and some people came and did thirty, and others did the hundred, and so that was good. And you're always tired when you do those, so to get through those is. Um, I knew when I was fresh that you know with a wetsuit on as well. So that's the other thing with Hawaii. You are allowed to swim with a wetsuit, so it makes it pretty warm. I know in the swim we actually. Um, we, we took ice for the swim and I put some ice down my wetsuit which was nice for about the, the whole two minutes before it evaporated Yeah. Um, so I did really just a couple of big swims and then most of my other swims were probably shorter than 3k but um, I guess more intensity yeah. uh, on the ride side of things I was lucky enough um, to get away for a couple of uh, three to four day training camps in the Alps so um, I think that back-to-back riding big days, that obviously uh, mirrors what the race is, um, that really helped enormously. I, I know, you know, starting the run, I, I felt really good. I did a warm-up run and I was like, this is cool. I feel, And I did, I felt really good. So um, I do a lot of strength on the bike. I, I don't do a massive amount of intensity. Um, I do a lot of wind trainer, strength work, 60 RPM work, all of that type of stuff, um, which you have to do in Melbourne. Melbourne's pancake flat. So... Uh, uh, Run-wise, I um, I didn't get in as many long runs as I wanted. I had a plan to do some 50s and 60s. I, I just had some nutrition problems where I just couldn't consume enough calories through the week to, to do my, my long run. So normally what I'd do is I'd ride, say, Saturday, Sunday, and then I'd do a long run on the Monday morning or whatever. But I just found that I was always so depleted or I couldn't get enough carbs in uh, so I had to change. I had a few bad runs where I'd get 20k's in and basically be walking because I'd run out of run out of juice. So, 
so I chatted with uh, with um, a couple of people that I really trust. Uh, Mitch Anderson, he gave me some great advice on just you know how much how many carbs he ingests in in, in an Ironman, and a couple other people, uh, Daryl from Shots and and mate, I, I just started throwing in a whole bunch more calories, uh, a significant amount more, uh, especially on the ride, and that really helped. So I ended up having a couple of fifty k runs. Um, yeah, that were that were longest runs. Um, yeah, and um, I guess the, was there anything else? I, I want to go into Ultraman Australia because you've got some stuff to talk about around that as well. But anything else that sort of you know um, or advice you've got people for that are thinking about um, trying to get into Ultraman Hawaii, and, and for those people that are listening that do have a desire to do it, you do have to go and do an Ultraman elsewhere to essentially uh, qualify for it so yeah any other advice you've got for people you know who might be uh, have that desire to go over to the big island and do the double oh advice um it's very achievable um and, and my wife gives me a bit of grief every time i say this but um it is a double iron man over three days um you know, and if you can get your nutrition and recovery right and your pacing right, I, I really believe, you know, the cutoffs are not that hard. You've got six hours to do 10K swim and then you've got another six hours to do the 150, uh, 145. And then, you know, day two, you've got 12 hours to ride 270. So even though the conditions are tough, um, it's still achievable. And, and you see that some of the, the guys at the tail end, they are very regular, very regular, normal working people, just like me, if you like. So um, it is very achievable. Um, and that was certainly, you know, after I'd done my Ironmans, and um, I guess in, in the way I coach is, you know, I want my athletes to, and it doesn't matter whether it's Ultraman or, or something else, whether it's a 100K trail run or whatever, is, you know, Ironman doesn't have to be the end of the road. You know, not everything finishes at that distance. Is you know, there's some amazing events out there. Um, Ultraman just happens to be the one that I've chosen, the one that I you know that I love. Um, but you know, there's some really incredible incredible events these days that you know what you just push yourself out of your comfort zone, and it's not that much further than an Ironman or, or that much harder. So it's it's just um, just got to be able to back up, just just mm. be able to fuel well and, and back up. Um, and Hawaii certainly, it's a hard course, there's no doubt. It's hilly and, the, you know, one minute it was 10 degrees and then it seemed like 10 minutes later it was 30 degrees. Um, but it's a great race and, and uh, yeah. So, so in, in terms of Ultraman Australia, I know you, um, you mentioned you're involved in that. Um, maybe give us a bit of a rundown on that. I'm intrigued to know how the ultra, whether Ultraman's are a trademark and whether you've got to get permission to use the word Ultraman um, so maybe give us a bit of an insight into that race and how it sort of fits in with other Ultraman races or if it doesn't at all um, and maybe just uh, give us a bit of a spiel about that Yeah cool, so that's right, so I am a uh, I guess I'm a co-race director with Tony Horton, he has the franchise for so it is a franchise arrangement, um, you do have to do an Ultraman qualifier to, to, to do Hawaii um, it's certainly the first, so uh, May 8, 9 and 10 uh, is the first time um, an Ultraman will be held in Australia and it's in Noosa, so, uh, you know, it's a stunning part of Australia and it has a, it's a very deep history with triathlon, with the Noosa triathlon being around for, geez, I don't know, 30 plus years. So we've been working with the, um, the councils and, and main roads there and they've just been outstanding. Um, yeah, so so yeah, so Tony has purchased a franchise for that, and um, yeah, it's what are we down to four months, and and certainly um, we 
just about finalised the course, just waiting for a few things from main roads there. And um, the swim is, is going to be directly off the Noosa Beach. So, you know, right, and basically you follow the, the, the coastline around the Noosa National Park. So it's, you know, it's a stunning course. Uh, the ride goes up through the hinterland, so you know, right up towards Gympie, and then it, it's a really honest course. We actually had to trim it down. There was a little bit too much climbing initially, so we changed the course a few times. And then the day three run, uh, it goes through the national park, and then you go run down the coast. So I'm not sure if you've done that, John, but no. um, there's a trail that just kind of hugs the beach, if you like, uh, from Noosa all the way down to Coolum. It continues past Coolum. We go as, as far south as Coolum. Um, which is the way to Malulaba, um, and then you turn around and you come back. So it's a really honest course. It's, it's they're not big hills, but it is just continuous up and down. So it's going to be really challenging for the guys. Um, yeah, so You've I, I went sold it not, out, haven't you? Yeah, sold out uh, quickly, well, like within two weeks. So um, yeah, which is really ex- that's that's really exciting, you know, as a first up race because some of the ultraman, the other ultramans, unfortunately, they they don't sell out. Um, so you know we want to. We're certainly looking to raise the level of, uh, I guess, professionalism. Um, you know, we, we want to give a, an amazing experience. So the race itself is is amazing, right? But we're looking to do quite a few other things that'll that'll make it a. I guess you know we want to make it a, a, a marquee event in Australia, and um, I think the location, you know, that that lines up with that. So when we when we say it's a sellout, it's a slightly different to an Ironman that sells out with uh, three thousand participants. How many people have you got racing? And is this a, a finance? Uh, you know, not uh, you know. Are you making this is, is it a business or is this something you? Are? I just want to have an Ultraman in Australia because I'd imagine with you know Ultraman Hawaii, you get a thousand forty people entering. Um, it's pretty hard to to make you know, a significant profit or anything out of that. It's not something you can live off for the year. Yeah, so this is my first time being involved as a race director and it's certainly been quite an eye-opener for the, um, I guess, the small costs that um, very quickly add up. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's only 45 athletes. Um, So I think, and I'm sure you've mentioned it on your show before, and I think this kind of the standard number is, you know, maybe if you can, you try and break even in the first three years or something like that uh, and then maybe, you know, look to make money after that. Um, Tony and I are certainly so Ultraman Hawaii this year with me. Um, so he's done a few of those Ultramans. He's like me. We're very passionate about it, and we wanted to bring it to Australia because I just, you know, I got such buzz out of Ultraman Canada, uh, and I got the same thing at Hawaii. Is you know, we want people to experience that, and you know, as it stands at the moment, there's only Ultraman Canada. Uh, which has just just changed its name, uh, Ultraman Florida, and there was a, a race in Wales of, of all places. Um, not surprisingly, that one never sold out. It was always too cold and wet. Um, so you know, we wanted to bring that obviously to, to Australasia, and um, certainly New Zealand was you know certainly looked at you know uh, the possibility of something over there because uh, you know you guys have obviously got a, an amazing athletic. Uh, uh, to, to ground to pull from. So, so, so why why limit it to forty five? Um, when if you've sold it out, um, yep. you know, I mean, I, I know if you have thousands, it becomes a logistical nightmare. But why why limit it? There's two key reasons. So, uh, you know, the, I guess the the main one, uh, one of the main ones, is because you've got the support crew, right? Which is not limited to one car. So you can have. So even if every athlete has to have 
a car with with two volunteers in it uh, or two friends or, or family or whatever. So what happens, it's not so much of a problem on day one, but certainly on day two when you have 45 athletes rolling out together and there's at least 45 cars trailing behind them, it gets dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I saw that there was a couple of near misses at Canada and um, not so much at Hawaii, but, you know, it just gets crowded. You have, you know, your international athletes who aren't used to driving on the wrong side of the road and, uh, you know, I nearly saw Dave who won Canada. Jeez, I, I nearly saw him get taken out by this Russian guy who just opened his door basically in the middle of the road. I don't, still don't know how Dave missed his door. Um, he just wasn't used to it. So there's that side of it. The other side of it is is um, Ultraman's really strong on um, family values and and giving everyone, treating everyone as equal, right? So um, everybody at the awards night gets an opportunity to speak. So when you add that up, if everyone has three or five minutes and, you know, they get up and they talk about their race and their experience in getting to the start line, because for a lot of people, you know, the the race is kind of the easy bit or or whatever, it's a a massive, um, it's a massive deal just to get to the start line. So everyone gets the opportunity to talk. So, you know, if we had 100 athletes, well, the, the award ceremony would basically go for 12 hours. So, um, so I know that the the Ultraman, you know, the parent company, if you like, they want to keep that. They see it as a really important part, and, and I see that as well. Cool, cool. nice. <laughs> so, you've got to give a plug for yourself as well. Um, we love it when you, I love it when you mentioned about Blue Seventy. But if people want to find out more about what you do in the Melbourne area, um, let us know what you're all about. Yeah, so I, I split my time uh, between. Coaching and, and um, so my, my coaching business is Tri Nation. Uh, you can get me at Craig at tri nation.net or, or just jump on the uh, it's Tri Nation, not the rugby brand, it's uh, <laughs> tri nation.net. Um, so yeah, I, I mostly coach athletes by correspondence. I do have um, quite a few Melbourne based athletes because I live in Melbourne and so we had a good, beautiful, stunning group swim this morning. Um, just down here at Port Melbourne. So I do do the odd group session, but basically I, I coach by correspondence. I have athletes in WA and Queensland and all around, uh, all around the place. So, um, yeah, and then my wife runs our aqua shop, which is here in South Melbourne, and um, she does a great job. So b- between us, we manage our two kids, and so I'll jump into the store if it's busy and give her a hand and, yeah, sell some, sell some wetsuits. Nice. Um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much me. Life's busy. It's great. It's um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Very good. I yeah. know oh, it was uh, it was looked like you had an awesome time out there at Ultraman, and uh, I am intrigued. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm overly intrigued to do it yet, but I'm sure there'll come a day where I um, do man up, and just that run is an awful long way, and uh, I've still got a few Hawaii demons to to vanquish before I uh, before I go and try anything else too too crazy at this stage so um, appreciate you sharing that all that information about Ultraman because it's um, yeah it's, it's not a race that gets a lot of coverage at all I always try to remember to pick it up each year but there's not a lot of press releases or anything like that going around so it's good to hear what it's all about and um, yeah thanks very much for your time uh, John, look, I just want to thank you and Bevan. Um, I listened to you, obviously, doing a few hours, like a lot of Ironman athletes do. We do a few hours on the road, and uh, I, every week I look forward to, to, to your download, and I love uh, what you guys bring, and, and certainly I appreciate the, the entertainment um, that you and <laughs> the sparring that you and Bevan have. It's it's cool, and, um, mate, thanks. And, look, I didn't want to bring up about Hawaii last year, but um, now that you've brought it up, yes, you need to go back and redeem yourself. <laughs> You just, uh, I need to get some something to 
something to give my wife to to motivate her to get back there as well. Okay. I foolishly said, "Don't let me do this again." When I was on the run, so uh, yeah, there's, there's a shared. We both got to both got to get the motivation back. But no, appreciate your time. Nah, good on you, John. Thanks for having me. Righto, Craig, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Um, I, I haven't actually listened to the interview yet. I listened to the last little bit of it just as I was doing the editing there. Sounds like you're a pretty cool guy. Um, sponsor. Let me have a look at my little kind of show notes I've got here. I'm trying to kind of decipher between my show notes here. And our second sponsor is X Endurance. And X Endurance. Um, John Padman's little show notes here, what he does is he kind of writes what we're going to talk about with the sponsors each week. And he's just got saying that if you're currently doing your build-up for Ironman Melbourne, which... I'm sure a few of you Australians out there right now are doing. Uh, you should try out the Immune Boost and you can find it's a great product uh, keeping you kind of in good, healthy place when you're in your peak with your training. It is that thing when we're doing a lot of volume that we are a bit more susceptible to the flus that are going around because our body's just, you know, a bit more vulnerable, a bit kind of tired. And I know we're really healthy and, and we tend to be people who care about our nutrition and looking after ourselves, but... There is that level of fatigue that comes in this real peak moment before your race. And one of the, the factors that we need to consider as an athlete is what are the th- all the things that I need to do to make sure I get to the race day as, as best as possible. And actually, I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Um, but, you know, really, when we think about that, one thing is being healthy and the immune boost that comes from Extreme Endurance or xendurance.com is a really good way just to kind of you know, stack the cards in your favour to make sure you get to the race day as best as possible. If you are going to go to X Endurance, you can obviously check out Extreme Endurance, and uh, that's obviously the lactic buffer that helps you recover from hard training. And again, if you're in your peak training time, it could be a really good tool to help you get through this time performing at your best. So check it out, Extreme Endurance at xendurance.com. There is an IM Talk discount code. Um, not exactly sure what it is off the top of my head but if you go to our website www.iamtalk.me you'll be able to see that there I thought because we've you know it's just a little bit shorter today so I thought I'd talk about a, a little subject that I talk about for my runners and it's um, I'm just going to pull up some little notes here that I talk about so one thing that, that like I, I've got this running business and, I, and why am I going to share this with you guys well I think this is applicable to to what you guys do in your training. So I thought I'd share just some thoughts on an area that I often talk about with my runners. So as a coach, one thing that you discover as a coach is that you you have a lot of, especially in the world that I have created with what we do with our runners. So I have a business called Extramoral Runners here in Christchurch. And what we do is we do kind of team training packages towards running distances. So we have a a zero to five k group. We have a ten k group, and then we have a half marathon group called Race Team. And Race Team basically gets a group of like currently we have about I think in our latest group we've got about ninety people in our latest group, and we get ninety people, and we train them all towards a goal of doing a half marathon at the end of ten weeks. Now within that, what they have is they have um, three group training sessions a week. Um, they have seminars on nutrition and you know everything that they need to know. Now, what we've really done within our products is we've created this this kind of environment where we have a lot of control over the programming, the progress of their their physical performance, their training, and the way they are moving. So at each session, everyone knows what they're going to be doing. This is kind of everyone working within three programs that we have for the different levels of ability. And we also, you know, we have coaches there who are there to motivate them, inspire them, uh, t- 
to, to correct their technique and things like that. And we find that when people join our product, they seem to have massive progress. So a lot of people who have done half marathons, um, you know, the thing I often talk about is that most people over time train themselves slower. So most people who don't necessarily have a focused program just go out and kind of just run. And over time, they actually just get slower, not because of age, just because they don't really have that focused training where you've got all the different types of intensities and, and those types of things in your workout. And so uh, when people join our groups, they have massive progress because A, we've created a cool environment, but B, because they're actually doing quality training, which takes them to that next level. While we're really fortunate that we've been able to create an environment where we can have a massive influence on these people's training, there's lots of aspects that we can't control. And we often talk about this when we are in, you know, when we do their first seminar, things like uh, sleep. Things like uh, the nutrition outside of the, the you know training nutrition you know the things you eat every day, things like their planning, things like um, the support that they have from the people around them. When we think about what it takes to have an amazing performance, it's not just the training. And one thing that we know for a lot of Ironman athletes is that we put so much time and energy into our training and we put all this resource and, and thought and uh, money because of the gear and uh, you know the nutrition we'll spend and, and time and to try and do the best training that we can do. And while that's obviously one of the biggest important aspects of performing on race day, it's not the only aspect. And what a lot of us do is we put all this energy in, you know, it's almost like we're 100% awesome in this one area here, but then we neglect some of the other important areas of our performance. And that's the question that we always want to explore is, what are, what are the aspects that are going to help me have the best chance of me having the greatest performance on my race day? And as I was saying before, the, the training load and, and the way you approach your training and your program are obviously one of the biggest factors that have helped that. But these other things are really important as well. So what I, what I wanted to go through here is just some stuff to think about in these other areas. So I suppose if you're going to do some homework around this and if you're training to do an Ironman or, or a half Ironman or, or any type of event, I suppose the first thing you want to explore is what level of importance is this event to me? So we, you know, you guys who are listening to the show, I, we know that you guys are out there training all the time. So you probably have a lot of different types of races in your training year. And based on the importance of the event, we'll probably determine the level of commitment that you're going to show to that event. So if I've got a, a level C event, let's say I'm just kind of signing up for a local half marathon that, you know, I'll make sure I'm half sharp for, but I'm not going to commit my whole life for there's a level of commitment that comes to that C-level race, which probably lets me off the hook a little bit more. Me, I'll allow myself to stay up late a little bit more at night. My nutrition probably isn't as sharp. You know, I probably don't need any family support, those types of things. If we go to a level B race, obviously the level of commitment is going to increase. And then when we go to a level A race, that kind of number one race in your calendar year, that is where we are looking to have the highest level of commitment for this next period of time. And as we think about, you know, and let's be honest, for most of you guys listening to this, that will probably be the Ironman that you plan to do this year or the one big 70.3 race that I do. 
So the first thing we want to start to think about is what are all the different aspects within my life that help me have the greatest performance possible? Now this is a good little kind of homework project to do or just even a thinking project that you can do when you're out there training or when you've got some spare time. But you want to really kind of sit down and break down all those different aspects. The clearer idea of what you can have around those different aspects are, then you can start to make some planning and some decisions around how to put yourself in the best place in that area. So let's say I, I, I'm going to do Ironman New Zealand. Um, well, it's probably too soon, but let's say I'm going to do you know, a race six months from now. And it's a race that probably takes a good six months of effort for me to get into my peak condition. I, I, I break down what are all the different areas that will take for me to have the best performance possible. Now, obviously we've got training, but things like sleep and nutrition and all those things I've mentioned before. You may find that, you know, there'll be other things that you have that, you know, I haven't mentioned here. You might be someone who works extremely hard. So to be have periods of time within the next six months where you take time off work may be an important aspect of you being successful. Once you've broken down these areas, once you've broken down what the, the areas of your life, not just with training, but the areas of your life that allow you to have the greatest performance, the next thing we're trying to look at is we're trying to look at well, what is my best version of myself within that area? So let's let's use sleep as an example. So, um, you know, when you're at your best, how much sleep do you need in a night? So, you know, most of us, you know, in today's world, you can go on the internet and someone will tell you you need eight hours sleep a night. But let's be honest, we probably all know how much level of sleep we need within our world. For myself, I'm someone who seems to get by pretty well on six and a half to seven hours sleep a night. But I also meditate every day at around lunchtime. So I kind of feel that my lunchtime meditation is almost a recharge, which I think allows me to live off less sleep. But I know that if I get six and a half to seven hours sleep a night, my next day I'm going to perform really well. If I get five hours, I'll get through the next day, but it's a bit of a mental struggle, and, and let's be honest, it's, it's probably not the most productive day in my life. So as I think about this area of sleep, I know that if I'm going towards an A goal, I want to be hitting probably seven hours sleep a night. So as you think of all these different areas, when you're at your best, where do you sit? So with my sleep at seven hours, when I when I eat healthy, you know, what, what kind of diet do I sit within? When I'm focused at work or when, when, when I have good relationships that allow me to feel supported towards me achieving my goal, what kind of, re, where is that relationship in? Now, once we've understood, you know, what we call, you know, our, our best place within the different areas, we really want to kind of look at the behaviors that create the best place. So if we think about going back to the sleep analogy, so I suppose the first thing to think about is when I don't get a great night's sleep, what are the behaviors that create the bad night's sleep? So for example, um, I know that if I pick up my iPhone when I go to bed at night, the chances of me having a great night's sleep decrease massively. So, you know, Joe and I tend to go to bed about 9 o'clock, 9.30. Um, we'll spend a bit of time together and then, you know, she kind of rolls over. Now, if I pick up my phone at that stage and I start playing IFO games, I can guarantee you that I probably won't get to sleep till about midnight. 
Now, I'm someone who has to get up at five every morning, so if I'm getting to sleep at midnight, that means I'm going to get five hours sleep. So if we look at my performances, my, you know, my great performance places seven hours, grabbing my iPhone and playing games on my iPhone means I'm only going to get five hours sleep a night. Contrasting that, if we look at, um, if we look at, uh, what am I trying to say here? If we look at when I go to bed and I get seven hours sleep, if I grab my book and I start reading, I'm literally asleep within 15 minutes. So let's say Joe and I go to bed, we spend a bit of time together connecting, then, you know, we roll over about 10 o'clock, I pick up my Kindle and I start reading my Kindle, I'm guaranteed to be to sleep by quarter past 10 to probably half past 10, sometime within that range. And I, and I pretty much, you know, a book is like a sleeping pool for me. So those two different behaviours at that time of night have a massive influence on the outcome of tomorrow's performance. So the idea of picking up the Kindle means I'm probably going to get about, you know, seven hours, six and a half to seven hours sleep. <clears throat> By picking up my iPhone and playing iPhone games means I'm going to get five hours sleep. So as we look at, if we take a step back and we say that well, the seven hour mark is what I'm aiming for, and then we look at the behaviours that create the seven hours of sleep, I know that when I'm in an important period of my life, that when I get to bed, the first thing I need to do is to pick up my Kindle. Because B, I know that then tomorrow, I'm going to have a better, fresher mind and be able to perform better in my life. Now, we look at you guys as athletes, you know, the amount of energy that we put out into our lives is massive. So if you might, you know, like how many times have you gone out training and you've ticked the box of the session, but deep down within yourself, you know that you haven't really hit the objective of the session because you're tired. Now, if that night before you'd like me, you got on your iPhone and you played iPhone games and you only had four or five hours of sleep, is that the cause of you not performing in your training? If you had gone to bed and picked up your Kindle and you knew that it got you to sleep quickly and you had seven hours sleep, would have you performed better in your training the next day? And what's the cost of you not performing in your training? What's the cost of that to your A performance for your A race? So once you start to break down all the different areas in your life that create the greatest performance, and then you kind of measure where that is, the seven hours of sleep, you know, the certain level of diet that you maintain, then what you're trying to look at is what are the behaviors that create that high level performance? So if we look at nutrition, one thing that's really interesting with nutrition you know, um, John and I have had lots of people on the show about, you know, what we should be eating and there's always kind of wide, very discussions around what's correct and what's not correct and we, we definitely live in a very fascinating time in this kind of area of knowledge. But to me, I, I, I ultimately believe that most people have a fundamental idea of how to maintain a healthy level of diet within themselves and, and they probably also have figured out what those foods are. What tends to happen is that they'll have periods where they sit within, you know, the rules that they know work within their life. And let's look at it that way. You know, when you're in your healthy place with your eating, what are the kind of the rules that you live within? They might not be a strict diet that you've read about, but you know, you'll you'll know that you know when I'm in a good place. You know, for example, I know, you know, there's a certain level of diet that I have in my life. Now, what tends to happen is we'll have periods when we're in a good place. And then periods where we fall off the wagon and we tend to go to the extreme damaging place. And for a lot of people, actually, that damaging place is where the biggest concern is. But if we look at the difference between the behaviours of the good place and the bad place, it often comes down to planning. <clears throat> so 
the way people, the, the nutrition in their life, when they're eating well and they're eating, you know, right portion sizes, you know, good choices of food and things like that, often because they've spent a bit of time planning their nutrition in their life. And when things start to go wayward, it's often because they haven't had the time to plan or they've got busier in other areas. So if we think about, I'm going into a performance period and my nutrition is going to be extremely important important to me, well, what creates me eating healthily? Okay, well, is it planning? Okay, well, how do I then make sure that I maintain the behavior of planning? So that's kind of the next step. Figure out your performance levels in each area. And then try to really understand what behaviours are creating that performance level. The reading the Kindle, the planning of the food, the really strong communication with your boss about you may need some time you know, at certain times of the week where you have to get out of the office or you're going to take some time off. <clears throat> the great communication with your partner around um, you know, how they'll be able to support you and what they'll, you'll need back or they'll need back from you. Then what we're looking to do is ultimately we're trying to find a way to measure our own, you know, to measure are we are we reading the Kindle? Are we doing the planning? And and it's almost just an awareness tool to keep track of, of when we fall away from these things. Now one thing I've learned a lot with working with people is that it's the awareness of the downward fall is one of the most important aspects of keeping people sharp. So what I talk about there is that Um, we all have moments of peak and we all have moments where we feel like we're losing ourselves because there's that kind of slackness and dissatisfaction of that place. And ultimately, what a lot of people do is they'll have these peak moments, but then they go in their downward phase. And and what happens in the downward phase is as we move towards our peak, we tend to, the, the motivation of our peak tends to make our behaviors sharper. So we feel very disciplined. We feel like we're sitting in place of really sharp behaviors. And what tends to happen is that once we've achieved the goal peak, the behaviors start to slip. And um, you, you'll see people who do diets. The diet's a really great example of this. People will do, let's say I want to lose 10 kg. And so I find some rules that I want to sit within to, to, to achieve this goal of losing 10 kg. And over a three-month period, I work really hard and I sit within these rules. I, maybe I don't have sugar drinks and I and I eat really healthy and I do exercise. And and I get to my, my goal of losing 10 kg and I feel really great about myself and so on. Now that moment there is a really interesting moment because suddenly what people tend to do is they start to let go of the rules and the discipline they had around the rules. So you may have, you know, not had any, you know, uh, sweets or let's say snack bars, like a Snickers bar, for that three months leading up to losing 10 kg. Now that you've lost the 10 kg and you feel comfortable with the place you're at, you might think occasionally, well, you know what, I might have a Snickers bar because I've, I've achieved my goal. That's kind of the first slip in behaviours. And what a lot of people do is they end up slipping back to all the behaviours they had before they achieved the goal. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not like a sudden slip. It's just like small little chinks in their armour to the point where they end up putting the weight on, if not more weight on, in the long term. Now one of the most important things we, to help us, you know, not fall back to where we you know, to where we started was to create awareness of when these old habits are slipping in. So when you first have that Snickers bar, if you can go, oh, that's a slip. I need to realign to some really healthy behaviors. And that's what we want to think about in regards to 
having awareness around the slippage that I have. So again, if I go back to the sleep analogy, let's say that I'm going to train for Ironman and I'm going to say that six nights out of seven, I want to make sure that I'm getting seven hours sleep a night. Sure, I might give myself one night a week where I can stay up late, you know, just because I'm human and I may want to do that. But for six nights out of seven, I want to stay on top of this. Now, do really well for a few nights and then you, you have that one night where you only get four hours sleep. What you do not want it to do is then for the next three nights to only get five hours of sleep or within a week to only get you know three nights without five hours of sleep. And so if you can create some kind of awareness tool that allows you to see, oh, far out, it's the second time this week I've only had five hours of sleep, I probably need to assess why I'm slipping away from my good behaviors which create my best performance in this area. Hopefully this kind of makes sense. So I suppose if I'm to wrap it up, excuse me, I need to cough. <coughs> if, I, if I were to wrap this up, ultimately to create the greatest performance, it, it takes many different aspects of your life. And when we look at those different aspects in uh, breaking them down into individual areas, you, you probably know where your highest level of performance sits in that area. What we want to do is we want to understand the behaviours that create that highest level of performance and we want to try to sit in those as much as possible and then to create some kind of awareness tool that allows us to see, oh, I'm slipping and then to reset back to those good behaviours. Now, if you can do all of those things well, if you can, for a six-month period, maintain great sleep, if you can maintain a great diet, if you can feel supported by your world, if you can stay on top of all the other areas of your life, you know, all of these different aspects of your life, do you feel you would perform better in your key race? To me, this is this is an obvious obvious answer. You know, of course you would. You know, if, if you're <clears throat> if you're more rested for your training, you'll perform higher in your training. If you if you've less stress in your life, you can then focus better energy into, you know, the objective of your training and so on. So, um, you know, check, think about this stuff and, and ultimately I suppose one thing to really think about is to devote time to doing this. If you're listening to this right now and it seems to be putting a bit of a light bulb in your head and you can see that you are kind of failing in some of those different aspects that don't that influence your training, it only works if you put the time aside and work on it. So I would highly recommend that you, you know, put a time aside once a week where it's just to review and do this kind of work. Um, and maybe even just do a set period where you do a start off section around this. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm, I'm kind of all getting all croaky this morning. So there's just some thoughts on that stuff. Um, you know, what? it's funny. I, I, I'm obviously a big practitioner of this, this type of thinking. And um, I actually kind of almost do it daily, to be honest. I, I, I have these little tools, awareness tools in my day, which allow me to catch my slippage in my life. And so I never really have these big fall away periods from where I feel I'm losing myself. I might get the odd day or two, but it never turns into weeks where I, there's this kind of total downfall and, you know, I start to wonder who about who I am and, you know, and all those types of things. Actually, these awareness tools for me allow me to catch my slippages, but actually I put most of my energy into trying to evolve um, the way I live and try to evolve, look at my life and look about how I can evolve to become a high level of self. So yeah, hopefully there's uh, some value in that stuff for you guys there. I managed to get it to an hour seven, guys. There you go. So there you go. 
one thing I do want to kind of talk about before I kind of wrap up the show um, is the patrons. Now, we have had some people come on and do the patrons, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, we'll talk about that next week. We were going to talk about that in this week's show, but because John's not here, I'll leave that to next week. But just um, what we want what we want you guys to do is to support the show, really. And, and I will say a big thank you to people, those people who jumped on board this week and have already started joining the patronage. Um, John and I have been doing the show for eight years now. It's crazy, eight years. And uh, we've never missed a week. Like, we seriously haven't. And we got a really cool email from one of the patrons this week saying how, you know, they pay $10 for a triathlete magazine um, every every week or some triathlon magazine every week or something. And uh, really, they, you know, when they deeply think about it, they kind of really get no value from it or bug all value from it. And uh, th- this show has added so much value to their Ironman experience. And and we know that for many of you guys, you know, this is a bit of a highlight of your week or it's definitely a, a massive training aid. And it's, you know, obviously we're a bit kind of clowns and there's the entertaining aspects, but obviously there's also some education around what we do here on the show. And, um, you know, and John and I, and all honestly, we've kind of made bugger all money from the show. And, and it's never, you know, like, we love doing it and we get a lot back in other ways but at the same time you know it would be kind of cool if we get rewarded financially for the work we do so what we're asking is if you could become a patron of the show so if you go to www.imtalk.me um, there are some options and you basically click on become a patron and it'll take you to that page and thank you to Tim Heming um, for uh, for uh, for proofing it because <laughs> he is the, uh, the editor at large um, and there's some different options you can pledge $5 a month $10 a month $20 a month $50 a month and uh, basically there's different kind of deals that you get for the different patronage you can do it really 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 does help us and um, and, and I'll let you guys know that I actually patron other podcasts that I listen to there's some podcasts that I really love and are a big part of my week, highlights of my week when they come on, and I actually, I give money to those guys, just like, you know, we're asking for here, so it's something I totally believe in, we live in a changing time with media, so if you want to support the show, check out www.imtalk.me, go to become a patron, and, uh, you know, come support John and I, and what we're doing here, long may it continue with the show. Anyway, that's uh, this week's show, Um, thanks for listening, we'll be back next week with the normal show, if you've got any questions, you can email us at imtalk.com, podcast at gmail.com um yeah have a great week uh i'm russ i'm and don't train hard train smart kia kaha